Hello and welcome to Saladcast. And Glyn, you're back. How you doing? Well, I'm all right. I'm off my deathbed now, Ollie. I've had COVID, for anyone that didn't know. Um, double jabbed, still caught it. Um, presumably from my uh, escapades up in Sheffield when we played up at Sheffield Wednesday, Ollie. Um, went to an inflatable park in Rotherham with the kids before the match. And in retrospect, looking back, probably wasn't the most hygienic place I've ever been. So um, I'm suspecting I caught it there or, or caught it at the match, really, because those are the two kind of big flashpoint things I had. So, yeah, knocked me out, Ollie, for two weeks. Um, pretty sick. Going to get a bit for two weeks, really. It's been pretty crap. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have had a bit of a, of a break from Shrewsbury Town in some respects. I haven't seen what's gone on over the last few weeks while I've been away, but I have missed it. I've missed the podcast. And, um, yeah, if my voice gets a bit croaky towards the end, Ollie, you'll understand why. Yeah, I was saying to Bex, um, Glenn must be ill because he's not doing the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, my wife was saying similar thing, Ollie, as well, actually. But um, yeah, she she knew so I had no chance of doing it. And <clears throat> I suppose, you know, we've been through what we went through with Steve Cottrell and understood how sick he got and, you know, his, his story of it. But, you know, even having what probably was considered what could compare to what Steve had, a really, relatively minor dose of COVID, God, it still made me feel really, really sick. So if anyone had the vaccine still, I and you don't want to mess around with COVID. As I say, I had two vaccines and still got really ill. So I don't think I would ever want to have messed around with it without a vaccine. So, yeah, pretty grim. Um, and then, so, yeah, that's been my issue the last two weeks. But you had two, three guests, I think, who were really, really good, Ollie, over the last few weeks. So I, I listened to those while I was lying on my deathbed. And, uh, yeah, really good. And you, you held the fort well, mate. Cool. Cheers <laughs> for that, mate. Yeah. Good to, good to have you back. But, yes. yeah, it was good. Yeah, obviously, great for, really appreciate Chris jumping on twice, Aid jumping on, sharing his wisdom. And, yeah, James added, added something different to the mix. Um, so that was that went down really well as well. Got some really nice comments for that. So, yeah, thanks for those guys for supporting us. It's been great. And, yeah, it, it's really it's really fascinating. It's going to be interesting balance in this podcast because, you know, obviously your health was kind of came first before the yeah. podcast. Um, you know, we're talking about Ryan Bowman, who didn't feel very well on Saturday and had heart palpitations. Yeah, um, so, so that's really, so we really, really wish him um, a speedy recovery and we really hope that he'll be yes, fine um, and he can come back and play soon. Obviously, again, health comes first. And then talking of health come first, um, you know, as, as we know, as we said on the podcast once or twice, um, that my wife is pregnant mm. and, you know, she didn't feel too many kicks and stuff on the Sunday. So we phoned the midwife and said, come in. So we did. Uh, they did a few tests and yeah, it went on a bit longer than I expected. So yeah, we decided to um, postpone the podcast, um, which was the right thing yep. to do. But you know, obviously, you know, the great thing is obviously my wife is fine. The baby's fine. So that's the most mm-hmm. important thing. But actually, Glenn, it's helped us out. Because what's going on? Yeah, so even when you were in hospital I was, uh, last night, I was texting you a few bits and bobs saying, I don't really want to disturb you, Ollie, because I'm sure this is pretty stressful, what you're going through. But uh, yeah, there's some news in the sun that's uh, broke by Alan Nixon that um, potentially the club's been or being sold to Paul Delves. And we'll, we'll have a real good section on that later on, I think, after we've done the Ipswich games, because we do like to go chronological. But yeah, so it, I tried to make out that we'd postponed it just for that news, Ollie, um, but it wasn't. It was for uh, all of our issues we've had over the last few weeks. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, It definitely has helped us to, to to be able to approach this and obviously the story's developed a little bit more today hasn't it with the local press and a statement from the football club so you know on and off the pitch fascinating time to be a Shrewsbury Town fan not brilliant I suppose but um, yeah it's just it's all going on isn't it and um, yeah it's probably been the, the most challenging two or three weeks of the salop cast really hasn't it with all these issues going on and on and off the, off the pitch and for ourselves as well so be nice to just get back to talking about some football over the next few weeks again it would be nice to talk about some football just some football it'd be nice to talk about just some win. wins yeah. Um, but yeah there's a lot going on at the moment um, and yeah, just before we kind of close the intro, let's just talk quickly about the the pizza cup. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it um, because you know what's yeah. the point um, playing against a Wolves bunch of kids. Um, but the squad depth came into light. I've never ever seen a team play four one five. It was unbelievable. Um, 
poor Lachabella in the centre midfield with um, with Caton and Lloyd, who are Caton, for my knowledge, is a striker, a number nine. Um, he was playing midfield with Lloyd, who I'm told is a, an attacking a midfielder, mm. potentially number 10, yep. but they're not quite sure because he's so young. But those two in central midfield of Lachabella um, against uh, a talented under-21 side was, was a challenge. You know, the manager talks all about tactics and style and all this kind of stuff. We were just lumping it down the channels. Um, and eventually the Wolves team tired. Uh, a bit of quality took hold. We scored a few nice goals. Obviously, that's the negative side. The positive side is obviously Bloxham scored a super goal. He played centrally, Glenn. Yep. He played centrally. Lechabella ball through. Bloxham, bang, back of the net. Like, like, like you know, like Alan Shearer-esque. Mm. You know, just calm, composed, superb finish. And then secondly, um, a good cross from Mogbetter on the left and a Lloyd header. Um, fantastic header and an absolutely amazing moment for the lad. And obviously, you, ben, you love you love young players coming through, so that was fun. It's good to see the young players coming through. I'd actually, you know, I've had to go through and add all of the new your proper youth players onto the football manager database recently as well because the club were good giving me all that information. But yeah, I was aware of Lloyd. I think I put him on last year. I, you know, this is going to become a fairly apparent once we get into the game. I'm pretty pissed off with everything that's going on at the moment with Shrewsbury Town in terms of our footballing ability. And, you know, just things, there's so many comments that are being made at the moment that just make me laugh or shake my head. And, and actually lead to me being being pretty angry, but you know, Bloxham, you know, scored a good goal there, isn't he? He's you know, only one behind our top goal scorer this season. And in the week, you know, Cottrell saying I can't play away from home; it's too difficult. You can only play the home games. I'm like, Christ Almighty! I watched Ado Cosgrove and, and uh, Bowman try and have a go against Ipswich. I'm like, Christ! If he can't play away from home and he's behind those three, we've got a problem. So he, he needs to get given a go, doesn't he? Away from home, just give him a constant run of games. I know he's young, but Christ needs must at the end of the day. So yeah, nice for them to get a goal. Nice for them to get their their first professional goals and or. or appearances and I suppose that's all you can really take from a game like that clearly I didn't watch it couldn't give two shits um, we'll probably lose to Wigan and be knocked out in the next round and that'll be the end of that Ollie yeah it is what <laughs> it is um, we yeah we, 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 it's, I, you know it's a trophy that which no one really likes we don't like the format um, no. and that's that really no. um, so yeah let's let's crack on with the Itchwoods game and yeah plenty to discuss there and plenty to discuss um, when we get into um, yeah obviously the, the future of the club mm. as well so plenty of things for us to discuss today the situation is clear that's an excellent ball in, it's Holt header! Shrewsbury Town have the lead! It's his 28th goal of the season! So Ipswich Town 2, Shrewsbury Town 1. Shrewsbury conceded first again, <laughs> um, bloody nightmare. Um, so yeah, 19,200 home um, fans, which did have an influence on the game. Um, a few interesting stats. Yes, there were, Ollie. In fact, as you were in hospital last night, I was putting these together and becoming more and more furious as I did, to be honest with you, because they're bleak as shit now, really, these stats. Um, but let's start with the positive, mate. The main positive about Ipswich Town was Sean Wally scoring uh, our goal, which was great. 28 minutes, wasn't it? Seventh consecutive season he scored in now, which is which is almost the record. Um, the record is eight consecutive seasons scored in. Um, and the only two players who've ever done that on a history are Bernard McNally and Dean Spink, and that's pretty amazing, Ollie, isn't it? Um, that you know he has been a consistent player for us now uh, in terms of you know longevity. He's played more games than anyone in the New Meadow era, even more than Matt Sadler now. He's gone above him. Um, and you know I saw people talking about the fact that he could be or should be considered a huge Town legend. And I think, you know, when you look at things like, you know, seven seasons in a row and, and being right near the top of that now, um, I think there's a really good argument for it, for that to be the case, really, isn't there? Totally agree with that. You know, most players we have, you know, even like players that we, we really liked, you know, I don't know, Mark Wright or, you know, a go-go. I mean, you know, <laughs> Dean, Dean Henderson was here for 12 yeah. months. So, yeah, seven seasons in a modern-day League One football is, is phenomenal. 
Um, yeah, his goals, his grit, his his skills, his his, his dribbling. Yeah, I think it's fair to say he's a. Uh, if, if we did a Hall of Fame, um, Sean Wally would definitely need to be in there. Certainly for modern day, you know, in the new Meadow era, there's not been many that we could we could be putting forward into the into the Hall of Fame. I suppose in terms of that longevity, and I think he definitely deserves to be in in that discussion. Really, and it's interesting because, like, you know, he could he go for the record next year? You know, if we're in League One, I maybe we wouldn't offer him a contract. But if we do balls this season up and we go down to League Two, I'd have a fairly good, uh, you know, thought that. A Sean Wally, even at this age, considering he's our best player some of the time in League One at the moment, I'd definitely be offering him a contract in League Two. So maybe he'll have a crack at the record, Ollie. But when you look at the other names that are, um, uh, they've also got seven, and there's not even that many of, of them that have scored seven in a row. There's Ian Atkins, Ted Helmsley, Dave Pountney, the, the legend Arthur Rowley, and Mark Taylor. So you know he's right up there with some of the most iconic Shrewsbury Town players now in terms of that record. And so yeah, hopefully it's not the last goal he scores this season. Let's, let's see some more from Wally. But um, that is the end of the positive stats, Ollie. Um, where, where... the next one's a start <laughs> and for me really do show you how shit we are let's start with the one I was the most I wasn't surprised by it but I suppose was the most <clears throat> upset with when I read it last night from the last 72 points on offer in the football league we've taken 16 Ollie so that's basically from the end of the, the Cottrell good run um, when he first came in to now 16 points from 72 you know there's not many managers who would avoid getting sacked for that form, is there? Let's be honest about it. Well, I was I was looking at it um, on Saturday night where we'd got a 16.6% win ratio in the league this year. God. 16%. And then obviously you're, then you were doing about stats last season. So the last 24 games, we've only won four Mad. games. So that continues the 17% win ratio. Yep, it does. That is appalling. It's so bad. And it's really interesting. I was chatting to um, a good friend of mine today who's a Charlton fan, and obviously they're struggling and they're not very happy, but at least they've got two squads of players. They literally have two teams. Yeah. So there's, they've got something to kind of hang the hat on. We don't have one. We are, <laughs> we, we are, we are in real, real, real problems. Yeah. Um, we've got real problems in, in all aspects, and we'll try, try and cover most mm-hmm. of them um, on the podcast today. It's, that was stark reading. Um, and the fact that he's doing worse than a certain manager... Well, yeah, um, is worse. Huge. Yeah, and that's what uh, the next three really are looking at what Steve Cottrell's been. So you know, we used to talk. You know, back in that start of that run, best start of any Town manager in history. Um, you know, most points from Town manager after 15, 20 games, whatever it was. Okay, let's look at the start of this season now. So we've got eight points from thirty-two on offer this season. It's exactly the same as last season when Ricketts um, got um, eight points from thirty-two as well. Exactly the same goal difference. Um, and we played 12 games. Ricketts got sacked on the 13th game, Ollie. So the game we've got on Saturday will be our 13th. And he only got a draw in that game. So if we if we only get a draw or we or we lose, even worse, then he's got a worse record than Ricketts on the game that he got sacked last season. And I know there are a lot of things in the background as to it being slightly different. He's not had quite as long, um, the whole COVID thing. But, you know, in reality, when you compare that season on season record, we have absolutely stagnated as a football club, haven't we? We have stagnated. Mm. We are... We are always stagnating. Mm-hmm. We're in this constant cycle of since Paul Hurst left, of new manager, give him a benefit of the doubt for a long time, then sack him. New manager, benefit of the doubt, sack him. New manager, benefit of the doubt, and sack him again, and potentially sack him again. So he'll be our fourth manager if we um, if oh, so does bad. go. Yeah. And the fascinating thing, the thing that is just for me is just so surprising is that Scottrell's stock was so high in the yeah, summer. Massive. Like if, if I'd have told you, if we if we time travelled and went back and spoke to our ourselves in the summer, you would never believe that we'd be in the situation where you think the man, you know, a lot of Shrewsbury Town fans want the manager to be sacked, yeah. 
And he's done that himself through poor um, recruitment. Um, he's done that through the way he conducts himself. Mm. And the fact that it's not just where he's not just what he's doing, it's what he's saying as well. Because there was like after the Sheffield Wednesday game, was it Sheffield Wednesday game or the Bolton game? I said, oh, but what's worse, Steve Cottrell's post-match interviews or middle lane drivers? <laughs> and every, a few people said to me, yeah, but his post-match today wasn't that bad. And I'm like, well, yeah, maybe it was, but I'm just sick and tired of him talking nonsense. A few weeks ago, he said, Glenn, he's trying to change the style, and that's why we're not winning. Mm. Yeah, like, no. I was watching the game back on, on, on against Ipswich, and you could we, Ipswich had the ball on the halfway line, and you couldn't even see our defence. We were that deep. Oh, God. So defensive counter-attacking football is what got us those wins. If he, he did, several weeks ago, say he's trying to invest this new style of play, that's just not true. Yeah. And he says that there's just too many things which are um, have completely destroyed his credibility with the fans. He's undermined it. We said he's undermined it, hasn't he? He's washed away the foundations that he had at the start of the season. But you know, let's not even get into the Ipswich stats yet, because we're not quite there, Ollie. But even those are absolutely awful when we come to look at possession and stuff, which we will get to. <clears throat> and, you know, just comparing him to Ricketts, you know, considering the pressure Ricketts was under from the press, from fans, from maybe even the board um, during that period last season... You know, he's actually now got let three less points than Ricketts did after 45 games at the football club. So he's doing worse than Ricketts. And also in the new Meadow era, no manager after 45 games has, has ever had less points um, than, than than Cottrell has. As I say, after 15 points, uh, 15 games, no manager had ever had more points. And now, after 45 games, he's the worst of all the new Meadow managers. I know some of those were League Two, so it's not really that fair of a comparison, but... Staggering, staggering, staggering drop-off to Marcio Ali. And, and just going back to the league... Um, in terms of our, you know, our seasons in League One in recent memory, this is the worst now for goal scoring. It's the lowest amount of goals we've scored, and in, um, we've only got nine of, obviously, in the first uh, twelve games. And it's also our worst goal difference. So, you know, there's nothing to hang your hat on about the league form this season, or, or the cup form, really. I suppose when you look at it, to, to make you think that Steve Cottrell is doing a, a good job at all. And we'll, we'll discuss Cottrell again more as we go through it. But those, to me, are kind of the key stats, really, that point out that. You know, there is a very big statistical argument for Steve Cottrell to be under significant pressure as town manager, you know, and I think that if we keep this up for another few games, I think that you're going to see big problems in terms of our fan base turning. But um, that's just my view anyway, Ollie. I suppose let's let's get on to the game, Ollie, um, away from some negative stats. What was the team selection? So um, this is the first time all season, Glenn, I've actually got 11 at 11 on the fan. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah, we had um, the same team. Well, yeah, we've obviously got um, we've got well, everyone's injured. We've only got really one injury, oh, <laughs> two yeah, injuries. Um, but yeah, obviously it burgers the squad up. So yeah, so Josh Vella's still injured. Shit. So we had we had Pennington, Ebanks, and Pierre in defence, and Bennett and Nurse. Um, obviously there was debate earlier on in the season whether we're playing number ten. We're not playing number ten. We're playing a banker three. <laughs> no, we're not. I'm playing a banker three central midfielders with a right winger, a left back, <laughs> and a central midfielder. Um, which shows um, with Wally Davis and Leahy and then Bowman and Doe up front. So, yeah, um, and I thought it was interesting as well that um, that Benning was the captain. Yes. Um, and that was um, kind of as a, of a marker of respect for the sad passing of his father. Yeah, who was a bit of a local football legend. I think he played for Bridge North Town um, for years. And obviously, you know, the Bennett family are from Telford, aren't they? So um, kind of well-known in the area. And I think, yeah, you know, we pass on our best to Ryan Bowman for everything he's going on, on through. And obviously hope that that isn't something that, you know, derails his football career. Because um, it has happened to some footballers, hasn't it? But, you know, we pass on the best to um, Elliot Bennett and his family, I guess, as well, you know. As much as I'm being going to be pretty critical of them as footballers over the last few weeks, you know, you don't wish anyone to lose their father and you certainly don't wish anyone to go through heart problems, which is something that struck quite close to home for me as well recently. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, 
as much as as much as we will criticise them as players, they are human beings after all. And I think that um, you know the other thing away from Wally in terms of good news was the the support and, and love that they did get off our fan base. Really, um, despite what was a, a quite a chastening loss, um, there was still a lot of love for those two, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, there yeah. was, and yeah, it's real. It's, yeah, it's real shameless to hear that that sad news. And I hope he's doing well, and I hope his family are doing well, um, the best they can in, in the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of things, isn't it? When you talk about Bowman and, and Bennett and all that, and your COVID and everything to put into venting yeah. on big rants about football. <laughs> it's probably worth I'm ready for it. Don't worry. Obviously, it's all it's, it's all within it's all in the context of it is only football, yes. but at the same time, it is football. Does that make sense? So yeah, obviously, it's it's a big passion, but I think everyone appreciates. You know, there's 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 more important things sometimes, but um, yeah, doesn't mean we're not going to get no. back into this. Right now. No, I totally agree. Um, Context is everything, um, but you know, football is important to people. At the end of the day, you know, it's it's our main passion, isn't it? And God, we wouldn't do this every week if we didn't love it. But um, yeah, you have to respect and acknowledge the difficulties that people go through. Um, I think in terms of people's health, particularly. So um, yeah, all the best to those two. Um, and yeah, move to the game, Ollie. I think before we get into the game, one thing I thought was interesting, and maybe this isn't too much of a sign of of, of apathy, and we're definitely going to talk about that down the line. But only two hundred town fans to Ipswich. You know, one of the big games of the season, I suppose. I guess we have been there a couple of times. In, in well, we went the once, but didn't we before COVID? I remember going to that one. But and and also there were COVID restrictions for this game, weren't there? Where you had to do negative PCR tests and stuff, which might might have put people off. But yeah, probably one of our lowest away attendances for a sort of a big league game for a very long time, I would think. Yeah, it's it's a really really poor um, turnout, mm. um, and it's not poor in terms of criticizing no. the town fans. No. I never would have gone to this, even if we didn't have a kid and wouldn't have a kid on the way or anything like that. The idea of spending all that time on a train going to to, to London then to Ipswich to see this lot, um, and that's no disrespect to the players. There's not enough of them. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So the fact that there's two hundred is a huge marker, and it's something we'll come on to yep. um, in, in wider discussion later on in the pod. Um, but this was not a game full of highlights, was it, Glenn? It was no. not a game full of quality. It's which God knows how much they're spending and how much they're going to lose <laughs> per week um, when the finances come out. So I wonder if it'd be. I wonder if, I wonder if they're surpassed Blackburn Rovers when they lost three hundred and thirty k a week. Maybe when they were last in League One. Uh, it'd be interesting to see when their finances come out. But um, yeah, I wasn't impressed with quite a few of their players, to be honest. Um, so yeah, the game started, um, and we got a, an indication straight away that the the, the ref was going to be influenced by by the, the home fans. A little bit, yep. And we we do talk about refs sometimes, but I don't think we make a habit of it. No, um, we certainly don't go talk. You know, and if, if Sean Worley dies, we say Sean Worley died, mm-hmm. and the referee mm-hmm. was right. But there was a really odd one for me where Bowman was tracking back, put his foot on the ball, clearly won the ball. Um, there, their midfielder Morsi um, went down, and yeah. Um, the referee gave a free kick and for me that was really odd never a foul and the the crowd showing their influence straight away yeah I think you know I'm not going to disagree with what Steve Cottrell said about the referee having an influence as the game went on particularly with some of the decisions as it went on um all I'm going to say is you've got you've got to be a bit you've got to take off the blue and amber spectacles sometimes and think about the fact that I think it was two and a half weeks ago no maybe it's a bit longer than that it was before I had covid Steve Cottrell did a press piece before one of our home games that we needed to win, talking about how he wanted the fans to have an influence. He wanted the fans to get behind the team and push us over the line. And, you know, he wanted to happen at the Meadow what happened at Ipswich, which, you know, I can understand when you're on the wrong end of it, it pisses you off, doesn't it? You know, Steve Cottrell was clearly livid at the end of the game, but, you know, he's not going to he's not gonna be too annoyed when Shrewsbury Town fans get us a penalty from, you know, putting pressure on a referee. Unfortunately, it's part of the game, and he's right in observing that it happens at the bigger teams more often because you do have a larger amount of fans there. There was 20,000 people wasn't there, and sometimes it's hard for, you know, the 4,000 fans there on a cold Tuesday night to really influence a referee in the Meadow. So... 
we probably get the, the worst rub of it. But that is, unfortunately, part of being Shoe Town manager. You have to live with that and know you're going to get, you know, hit with it a few times. But, um, yeah, it's definitely obvious in this game. But you've, you've got to kind of have that balance, haven't you? It is, it is kind of, it does happen to us at times as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and if there is some um, some rogue Ipswich fans listening, this, to me, didn't change the outcome of the game. Oh, God, like, no. I don't think we deserve to get anything from no. it. And they were full, full deserved their win. You know, they didn't create a lot of chances, but they created some quality chances. Um, and they've clearly got some good players. Like Wes Byrne, he's one of the best players in division. Absolutely fantastic great. signing. He was really good. Yeah, I'm not really not so keen on that Morsi, though. Apparently he was a big signing for them, for Middlesbrough. And I thought he was absolutely shite. <laughs> he's like, his strength was non-existent. He, he, and he ended up giving the ball away and not battling for when Wally scored as well. Um, I thought he was awful. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting mm. signing. Seemed like there. a bit of a luxury um, player, didn't I, he? Yeah, but playing in a double pivot mm. in League One seems a bit much of a luxury, especially when they got so many attacking players. But um, but yeah, I thought that was strange, and it was clear from the off Shrewsbury Town were going long, <laughs> and we go long. Sometimes remember the Gary Peters days when our, when Mark Turney wouldn't even look up. He would just loof Yeah, it. we were all to beat them, though, on... <laughs> But that's what we're doing now. Our midfielders just get the ball, hit it, hoof it down the line. And if we, even if we do have time, oh, we've got two tactics attacking at the moment. Basically, we play it down the channel to, to the, one of the strikers making a run. Or if we have the ball, we try and play it behind the fullbacks. And that happened on numerous occasions and it didn't work. Now, we scored in this game because Sean Wally just created a bit of magic. Yeah, wonder strike. But we are really hard to watch. I'd swap this for Gary Peters football all day long. Like you, you know, it can be negative about what Gary Peters used to do. But you know what? He had a team you could believe in. Then you know they they were hard battlers. You know they they always looked like they put hundred percent in every week and really went for it. You wouldn't want to mess around with Ben Erd or or Tierney or Kelvin Langmead. Do you know what I mean? Jesus Christ, Kelvin Langmead would be our best striker now, and he was a centre back originally, so that tells you what you need to know. But yeah, I, I'd swap it for Gary Peters football. But it is horrible to watch, Ollie. Like. We were so passive in this game, like for for a majority of it, we just wanted to sit in a low low block, right right on the edge of the box, let them try and come at us, hit a ball long, and hope that a Doe and, and Cosgrove or Bowman could do something, which occasionally happens. A Doe gets a lot of credit for that occasionally happening because it is literally the only attacking we do, and he stands out as being one of our best players, and he's hardly touched the ball in a half, so uh, it frustrates the hell out of me. It's such a horrible standard of football to watch now. There's very little specialness in there other than Wally. And, you know, even when we score a goal like that, it comes out of nothing. There's no there's no real plan for that goal. It's like give Wally the ball, let him run forward and just hope he smashes one in. It's just no craft. Horrible to watch. I, I just I, I watched this game on Saturday and I hate I hated watching the, the the way the flow of the game went. It's just not entertaining, is it? Yeah, some fans might be thinking, Yeah, but guys, come on, this is it situation. Oh, yes, off. this is it situation. Yeah. And if but no but hold on. If, <laughs> if this was it's such a way and we got something from it, then kind of, you know, kind of you go, okay, yeah, but we put a performance in. But this is how we play. Every week. So we played the same, same against Morecambe. We played the same against Wimbledon Burnham, at home. The same against Wickham at home. Um, say, we played the same against Wolves under 21. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so sometimes, you know, I'm happy for us to play different tactics. I'm happy for us to go to, I don't know, stadium alike, you know, um, men behind the ball, get a smash and grab, and it worked. But when this is our literally our tactic... Um, that, that's concerning. Oh, we can't expect to go to the team in 19th and get anything, Ollie. Jesus Christ, we can't be that ambitious, can we? It's not like Ipswich should fly in at the top of the league. They've had a terrible start to the season. But they have got a good team. So, they have got a good team. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But the point is, people have been saying that, oh, well, you know, we lost to whoever it was, Wimbledon. They started the season really well. We, we can't expect to be. I'm a bit sick of all the excuses, Ollie. I've reached my point over these COVID periods and, and watching this game on Saturday. I'm, I've, had my, I've had enough of us making excuses for why we're not beating teams. We're not beating teams because we're crap at football. That's the fundamental point of it. 
it at the moment, and we've got a manager that seemingly doesn't know how to turn it around. So I'm I'm not having a, not having excuses on this one, Ollie. I know exactly what point you're trying to make, but um, it just yeah, it was a wider thing at the weekend really, where everyone's always got an excuse every week that why we sh- shouldn't expect to win that now. Particularly now we're down the bottom. Every every game we're going into, everyone's like, well, we'll get beat. It's like there's there's no ambition. There's no there's no. <laughs> oh, it's it's frustrating, Ollie. Anyway, I'm I'm gonna have to get back to the game here. It's but yes, you were right about Burns though. I just wanted to pick up on that one. I thought he gave Nurse a bit of a torrid time. In that first half, yeah, and he, he's the best winger in the league. I'd definitely, say. definitely one of the better players in the league, and, and was certainly the standout player on the pitch. But um, aside from Burns, I would agree with you about Morsi. He wasn't what I thought he was. He's played against us before and been better than that. But do you not think a worrying point is that you're saying this about oh they've got a good team, but they didn't impress us in this game Ipswich, and they fundamentally battered us. You know, a team that were other than Burns and maybe one or two others were not playing brilliant football, and they completely battered us for that first half, didn't they? That isn't it's even more worrying when you think about it like that, isn't it? It is. It's it is frustrating. It's odd. It's which are an odd side. So apparently they have like the best xG per shot on average. Oh, right. So that tells you obviously they work there. They they work they work really hard to create good opportunities. And maybe that's what the manager's working mm. on. You know, long term, we'll create some. You know, we'll create high quality chances rather than lots of chances. Yeah. They dominated in terms of possession. Oh, um, they dominated um, a lot of play. They only created four four um, four opportunities from open play. The same number of us. Yep. They create four chances from set pieces and four from open play. Yeah, they're definitely work in progress. Um, but in terms of quality and stuff, yeah, they, they, you know, they kept the sort of arms then. And, and you talk about possession. 20% possession after 20 minutes, town ad. We hardly touched the ball, did we? And, and even of those touches we had in that first 20 minutes, 50% of the passes were inaccurate. I mean, it's it's so low quality. So low quality when you look at the stats. And that's that, that's that long ball well, I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, Ado's not going to win a header against their two centre-backs all day. And, and Bowman wants it behind the back. He wants to chase on. So tactically all over the shop if you're going to do that why not play Bloxham or why not play Cosgrove as we've said before you play a big bloke hopefully it'll work better um that didn't happen first real chance that Ipswich had just before the goal um there was a couple wasn't there there was one corner they had um which went to the back post and they had a free header unmarked um which they put into the side net in which was a big indication of what was going to happen later on um so I think that was on about 20 22 minutes and then yeah next attack I think it was 23 minutes yeah how did we concede Ollie across into the box Mm. we didn't win the header and then, yeah, um, the little guy comes in and just smashed into the back of the net. Um, poor defending on this one, I have to say. Um, good. You know, probably, you'd probably say from an Ipswich point of view, it's okay. You know, they force pressure, forces to make a mistake. But from, a, from the defending point of view, it wasn't, wasn't great, was it? No. We need to start pointing some fingers at the defence, Ollie. I'm going to go there now. I mean, Ant Thomas made a, a fair point, I think. He's, I think he's been on the podcast, hasn't he, before Ant? And um, we're saying, yeah, I know we haven't scored many goals this season. Obviously, it's the worst in League One so far, but it's only marginally worse. I think it's only worse by one goal than last year. But... Traditionally, in the league one, we've been con- not conceding that many, nicking points under Ricketts, even Askey, um, particularly Hurst. You know, even that season was more fun to watch, but it was some marginal games where we defended stoutly. The defence is shipping goals at an alarming rate at the moment. And you look at players like Pierre, Ebanks and Pennington, and that's three very experienced, what you would say are probably, we would have said, quality league one centre-backs. And they are getting beat for headers by players half their size sometimes, you know, like, no, not half the size, but like a foot shorter than them, you know, with ease because they're more athletic. They can get off the ground a bit easier. And the three centre-backs have got to have a good long look at themselves at the moment. They, they are not doing what they need to do, particularly at set pieces uh, or balls into the box like this goal. It's it's not good enough, is it, from them three centre-backs? Particularly Pierre, I think, in this game, for me, stood out as a lax attitude that really just, not attitude, but a, a lax approach to the game that, just left him kind of chasing shadows at times. Um, they, they've not been good, have they? 
No, but then in in defence of the players, I feel really sorry for Pierre and Pennington and you know players like Bennett and that who've been putting their all in because you know they've only won four games in twenty four. I understand what you're saying, Glenn. You want to put them in a, in a fantastic performance, but they're you know they're going to work every day in a in a squad that's tiny and they're losing every week. So while I totally get your comments, I don't know. I just it's. I'm finding it hard to beat the players up too hard at the moment. I'm starting to get there. And for me, I, I'm putting a lot of frustration on the manager. Oh, me too. Solely on the manager. Me too. And a lot of this is down to the fundamental st- structural instabilities that we can talk all day about. But there comes a point after 12 games of a season when you've been this abject and you've conceded so many of the same types of goals where you have to start thinking about... You, you can't just blame that on training all the time. You know, Pierre is not winning enough headers in, in important situations. Like... You know, he's making individual mistakes in games and can, can relatively consistently that you would start to be able to point figures at it. So, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I don't think a lot of people are there with the players. I really don't sense a much anger at the players. I even think on Saturday against MK Dons, we'll just quickly flick to that, if we lose, they won't get the abuse. It'll go straight on Cottrell. I think you're completely right about that, Ollie. Um, but it's interesting because they are the players at the end of the day going out there and doing t- trying to do a job and, and not doing it. Um I think that it'll come, you know, if Cotter isn't going to get sacked, it will turn on them eventually, and then then it'll be, God knows what will go on then, Ollie. But, yeah, I don't know. Just the three centre-backs to me have have been a problem over these last few weeks when I've been watching these games. Yeah, I'd love to hear what they'd have to say, but I guess, you know, no offence to Wally or Leahy, but if you've got a left-back and a right-winger playing midfield in front of you, you're going to give away chances, and, yeah, it's, um, you know... You've still got to win your battles, Ollie. No, you have got to win your battles. It doesn't excuse them, but it is frustrating. But then, um, Glenn, there was a bit of mo- bit of magic. So yeah, Morsi <laughs> kind of just falls over, complains to the referee like he did all game. Wally picks up the ball, and yeah, what does he do? Well, he just smashes it in on his weak foot, which which I think is one of the reasons why it might have caught them out a little bit. He's well known, isn't he, for cutting in um, and hitting it in with the the other foot, isn't he? But um, yeah, hit, hitting it on this kind of running, we haven't seen him do that too many times in his career for us. So. Just a great strike, one of you know a classic Wally pure strike um, up there with those goals he scored against MK Dons a few years ago. If you remember, they were they were brilliant strikes. Um, you know, definitely up there in his top five best goals for the football club. A real moment, you know. Again, might have felt like it could be a turning point in the game and the season, but we'll come to what happened after the goal, which wasn't great. But yeah, just just one of his best goals. I don't think he can say anything more than that. I felt like. He's the sort of bloke that will really be hurting, maybe more than anyone because he's been here so long, about what's going on this season. And it felt like an angry strike, Ollie. It felt like he absolutely murdered the ball because he's just so frustrated what's going on and it just gave it that pace to beat the goalkeeper. felt like an angry strike. Yeah, it was a brilliant strike. Amazing. Um, and for me, for me, the goal was amazing. Um, second to that with them was the fans celebrating <laughs> yeah. and really good reactions. And I really enjoyed the ball, the ball girl from Ipswich. She kind of like gave him like a bit of like a death stare. <laughs> as in like, oh, you scored against my team. And then she kind of, with a bit of begrudging respect, started clapping him. I thought that was hilarious. What's the best goal so far this season? Ollie, that or Bloxham's over at Volley? Bloxham's yeah, by me. It's not going to get beat, is it? Even if you score in a goal of that quality, no. you ain't taking home the goal of the season. It's the context <laughs> and the context and the age. So it's funny, actually. My um, son is watching a lot of like uh, football YouTube skills things, and then he's going outside and spending hours practicing these tricks that I could never do when I was a kid. But he was saying to me the other day, he was watching something, and he said, Dad, 
He said that in a, in a game of football, you only see an overhead volley attempted every 150 games, and it, you only see one scored. I think it was like some 200 and something. You know, someone looked at some stats and stuff, and I was like, Rory, you do remember we've seen an overhead volley this season at the Meadow, so you're not going to see one for probably the next four or five four or five years now. He was like, oh, great. So yeah, he was there when Bloxham scored that overhead volley. So yeah, it does show how rare they are, doesn't it? That um, that that uh, Bloxham scoring one at 17 is definitely going to be goal of the season, no matter what happens. So, but no, a brilliant goal, definitely one of oh, definitely Wally's uh, one of Wally's best ones, and. Then what happened? Did that prompt us to really play any better? Not really, Ollie. I no. don't think so. <laughs> no, to be honest, I'm not sure if there's too much, um, too much to spend too much time on this game because Bowman missed a good we're chance. We're just going to talk about, yeah, just, yeah. Bowman missed a good chance. Um, we start wasting a bit of time <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Um, second half, um, towns start really awful. No out ball, as we said. No slow block, uh, block defending, which is awful to see. Uh, there was a debatable corner. Yep. Um, and then yeah, basically, corner comes in, and this way you're frustrated. You know, we don't make, don't do the basics. Too easy. And then yeah, and then Bond comes up and and puts the ball in the back of the net. He looks like a useful striker, doesn't he? I thought his shoulder barge on Morosi was a bit unnecessary in the first <laughs> half um, when he just knocked Donchin over. He didn't go down or anything, but I thought it was a bit unnecessary. But yeah, having a striker, uh, you know, puts his, himself about is something that you like to see. Yeah. Good, good goal from again from from their perspective, but. Yeah, it was poor from Shrewsbury. And yes, later on there was the pen claim. Um, and it was definitely a penalty, in my opinion. Yeah, Even definitely. BBC yep. um, Suffolk, I was listening to their feed. They thought it was a goal. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was what it was. Um, um, what else? Any comments from you, Glenn, on the second half? I mean, we could barely string 10 consecutive passes together in that second half it might not have happened I'd love to look at the stats to see if we if we at any point in that half strung 10 passes together because I, I reckon we didn't um, and there were long spells of 10 minutes where we couldn't string 5 together we were that much under the pressure um, even after they scored it was just all one way traffic um, to the point that you looked at it and I kept thinking bloody hell you know Dave Davis has started moving quite quickly in central midfield and every time I'd look, looked up, I, I kept getting him confused with a couple of other players. And then I'd look and it's like, well, why is a doe so deep there all of a sudden? You know, he's suddenly playing. He, he played central defensive midfielder more than he did up front for the rest of that half until he got subbed off. Nothing happened, Ollie, up to 74 minutes. We did absolutely nothing in that half. It was embarrassingly abject and we didn't deserve anything off that period. Obviously, then it gets to 74 minutes and Cottrell makes a sub, which is good. He brings on Og better and blocks him. Bloxham, you know, pushed himself around a little bit, did his usual thing, gave a few fouls away. Oh, I didn't really do too much, but at least they're getting a go again, I suppose. Um, and as you're right, should have been a penalty for us, um, but wasn't, was it? And then, yeah, that was it. We had that. We had a we had a bit of a of a barn at the end, really, didn't we? With with Cottrell, absolutely cry arsing at the referee about all the decisions, which wasn't really a fair reflection of what he should have been doing, which is going back in and figuring out how the hell he gets us to play better than that. But um, there we go. Game petered out. Nothing. Awful second half, Ollie. Um, and and we should have done should should have done much better. And is is a stat for you, Ollie. Um, just at the end of the game to show you how bad it was. That's the lowest number of total shots we've had all game. Obviously, we've talked about how oh, we've started creating more and having more shots on target. Not in this one. Five shots in the whole game. Um, I think two of them were on target. And in the whole game, it's four shots. Four shots. Okay, fair enough. BBC said five. I'm sure it gets quoted. Either way, four or five is both is is the lowest. Either way. Um, and then yeah, in total. 29% possession. Remember when we used to come on here and laugh at, oh, we only had 38 possession under Ricketts. What's he given so much of the ball away for? Like, we'd love to have 38% possession in some of these games at the moment. It's it's terrible. 29 has got to be, 29%'s got to be the worst possession we've had in the game for a very long time. Yeah, we we, we don't we don't average a um, very high number, do we? <laughs> no. I think in the last six games we've over at 30% or yeah, something. Yeah, it's awful. Um, Jesus Christ. And if, you know, obviously if, if you've got low percentage, you know, obviously Leicester famously did well, didn't they, of low percentage. 
that they won games and that's the big thing is this results business we're not cutting the results and if the football's terrible you're not cutting the results well you, you wonder why you go and that's why we only 200 town fans traveled if you're gonna have low percentage in games you've got to have a striker who's clinical and we haven't got one so that that plan will never work at the end of the day will it let's be honest if you've got vardy up front who's going to be the man that's there and takes his one chance in a game it's a bit it's a bit different to waiting for a to score his one goal in nine isn't it so there we go we don't we don't have the forwards for that kind of tactic and it's it's become apparent as the season goes on it's played out by the results Ollie. Yeah, it is. But no good. Poor, poor, poor form where we are. So yeah, let's do top three and then, yeah, of course, cover quickly what Cottrell had to say. Um, it's probably more interesting what happened off camera or what we haven't seen yeah. rather than actually what he said. Um, so let's do top threes quickly and then, yeah, move on to that. And then, yeah, plenty to stuff to talk about. Um, maybe a bit, a bit of reflection kind of where the club is in the moment. And obviously we can talk about um, the... the ownership situation yeah can do I mean for me I'm only picking three two sorry I don't think I think anyone else played anywhere near enough to be considered in my top three Um, so I went Wally first you know kept going scored a good goal was was clearly the only creative spark we've got in the entire team the only player you actually enjoy watching at full flight at the moment so yeah, my man of the match Bennett you know he had a really solid performance considering what he'd been through and how hard that must have been. You know, I haven't lost any of my parents, thank God, yet. And I cannot imagine how much difficult it must be to try and work two days after that. Um, so he deserves a massive amount of credit from my behalf. Um, but yeah, I'm not picking a third, Ollie. It wasn't good enough. I went for Wally Bennett and Nurse. Mm. Um, anything else to comment on before we do manager comments? Yeah, Cosgrove's a joke of a player now. He's literally an absolute joke, isn't he? When he came on, uh, he, he was, you know, he came on for Bowman pretty early. I, I cannot believe how bad of a footballer he is. Like we've mentioned it before, but it's embarrassing for a player that was, you know, was two million pounds. Um, I'm fed up with the praise. Ado keeps getting for just running a bit. Um, Davis, I've got to say, he's starting to look knackered, Ollie. Like I know he's old, and he, he's starting to look like there's a reason why we didn't offer him a contract straight away because we thought that he might not have the legs for a full season at League One. I reckon we're going to find that he's going to need a rest soon down the line um, because when he's getting knackered towards the end of the games, he's nowhere near as influential as, as he is when he's had a when he's had a rest. Um, Leahy, I know you've talked about this over the last few weeks, not been here. Doesn't work central midfield. It just it just does not work. Um, and yeah, I had a chat about Pierre. So for me, those those players really need to have a bit of a look at themselves after Saturday because those performances are not are not good enough for League One, unfortunately. No, we've got we've got poor strikers as as um, James mentioned on the last pod. You've got strikers that have low xg kind of output yeah um and cost i don't know what costco reserves he's is he a target <laughs> man is he supposed to hold up the ball um yeah just it's just not really good enough <laughs> it's not. to be honest um and and everything just comes back down to recruitment it's boring now um, and, and that's kind of kind of where a lot of town fans are now just we're just a bit of a bit of just just so tiring and you know us talking about the same things obviously we love doing the podcast but God, can we just have something a bit more enjoyable? Something to get excited about. You know, we were excited about a mid-table finish. That's how low yeah. our expectations are. You know, you can't say Shrewsbury Town fans are expecting, you know, to win the league or something. Dream. Uh, we just want a team to actually who can score a goal and win the odd game. So, seventeenth seems like a dream now, Ollie, doesn't it? You know, you snap snap someone's hand off for seventeenth. If we're seventeenth when the transfer window opens up, we've had either had an absolute miracle hmm. or we've changed manager. Yeah, uh, and we've got a better manager now. It's. It is shocking. Seventeenth seems like a dream at the moment. <laughs> so what? What? What other nonsense did the manager have to say? So um, he thought thought we're Apache. He said we were very well organised until the goal. Well, if you yeah, that's you, true. You can be organised. Yeah. We were organised, yeah, but uh, it's not going to get. It's not going to win you games, is it? Um, and then he talked about midfield lost their shape second half. Well, if you play a left back and a right midfielder <laughs> in centre midfield against you know, you know, yes, they're professional footballers, but. As you know, to, to play to play in midfield, even at Sunday League level, you know you need to be you know you, if you haven't played there before, you're going to look like you've never played there before. But we're not talking about Sunday League; we're talking about professional football, yeah. 
And we're talking about players on, you know, four, five, maybe 10 grand a week in Ipswich's squad who play in the championship. You only need to be one second off the pace and you're going to be behind. And the loss of Vela and Norburn is just so huge. Um, what else did he say? He said, he said, he talked about the referee buckling, blah, 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 whatever. And, but for me, the most interesting part, Glenn, is normally we get the free bit on iFollow and then I pay for iFollow and you get the full post-match, which in, when, when we win is about 25 minutes long. When we lose, it's about eight minutes. But we didn't even get eight minutes this week. We've got a cut-down version. And we normally get to see Lewis Cox part as well. And this was very edited, and we never saw the full version. So something definitely happened on Saturday. Something definitely happened. And obviously the press are not going to say what it is because it's probably very difficult for them to continue to do their job if they were to acknowledge what happened. Who knows what was said? Did he flounce off? You know, Did he say something that the club just didn't want out there? Who knows? The thing that's very clear to me, that there's a reason why the interview's been cut beyond what you just said, is that on Radio Shropshire, we wait, we wait, we wait, and they eventually play the interview... And there's one question put out. The first question, which has a three-minute response, and that's it. The the show, the the interview finishes. Mark Elliott hurriedly says a couple of things, and then they finish the sports show four minutes early and play a song. When you've got all these YouTube Town fans who are livid about what's going on at the moment and want to hear what our manager's got to say, and it's not really Radio Shropshire's fault then, I guess, if if something happened because then they put the extended interview out and it's only got a couple more questions. But the thing that you always get, regardless of whether you ever see Lewis Cox's element of it, is Stuart Dunn getting to the end of his interview and thanking the manager. Stuart Dunn is a massively polite bloke. He is a Shrewsbury Town legend. He is a, he's a, you know, a friend of mine. He always will say thank you to the manager, regardless of how difficult a situation it's been in. You know, he's done it with Ricketts, he's done it with Askey, he's done it with every manager who's been under pressure. That we haven't heard that, you know that something happened. And also, Lewis is interviewing the paper. He normally asks his questions and puts some of that content into his post-match manager comments, doesn't he? All I can see that Lewis has commented on is that initial question that Stu Dunn asked. Like, he maybe didn't even get to answer any questions. I don't know, because I haven't spoken to Lewis about this, so I'm not putting words in anyone's mouths. But again, you know, we observe this football club at a pretty detailed level for this podcast, don't we, Ollie? Something happened. What did he say? Did he embarrass himself? Did he embarrass the club? Who knows? But it just adds more weight to the, I don't know, the chaos a little bit of what's going on now at the moment with this season in terms of everything and it just not knowing what's going on. Or what happened just breeds rumours, it breeds us talking about it, it breeds you know, people coming up with all sorts of mad theories, and it's so unhelpful. It, but the point is, what he said or what happened must have been more unhelpful to the club t- than to have to deal with rumours. So God only knows, Ollie. I, you know, we could speculate to the carries come on, we just don't know, do we? We don't know, but we can only assume it's going to be negative well, true. because yeah. that's how we, we've seen him behave. Um, whether it's, yeah, we, as we stuff we talked about again, let's not, not go over it. So no, no. yeah, I'm sure there'll be a few more flashpoints that come up, but yeah, I think Ipswich, we expected to lose, we lost, um, and yeah, um, it's pretty pretty, pretty dark days, to be honest. Uh, I'll be surprised, even, you know, when Doncaster and crew catch up, I, I expect us to be to be bottom of the table, um, and obviously we've got MK Dons next, who and their manager just got manager of the month, but they're doing well. I, so yeah, the future looks dark, mate. It does. I, I was going to talk about this in Salop News, but it's probably just worth flink, flicking into it now, really, because... Obviously, that gets us to the end of Saturday night, where Shrewsbury Town fans have seen us lose again. Go second, you know, still stay second bottom, but having played two games more than Doncaster below us now, you know, it's a pretty dark place, as you said there, Ollie. And I think it was it was funny. We talked about apathy, didn't we? Being very dangerous to the football club and them, them needing to get to grips with the dangers that causes to your long term aspirations as a football club. Um, and I'll come to some of the her stats because you asked me to update those in a minute. But I, I you know, there's this five stages of grief, Ollie, and it feels a little bit like that at the moment. It feels like we're losing something in our football club. It feel like 
this three years of badness has really knocked Shrewsbury Town fans' confidence. And there's the the five stages of, of grief, as I say, you know, from anger, which is clearly where I'm at at the moment. I'm furious with, with the situation we found ourselves in again. Um, but there's also all the way through to acceptance at the end, isn't there? And, you know, negotiation, you know, all those sorts of different things. It's worth looking it up. Anyway, so I asked you, Town fans, if, of, of these five things, where are you at at the moment? And the fundamental answer to it was acceptance, Ollie, which links into that commentary about a- a- apathy, doesn't it? People are accepting that we're going down already. And I find that, where I'm at at the moment, in the anger phase, frightening. I, I can't believe that yeah. our fans are not going to rally to make change or get change. Well, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's frightening. It's, that's not necessarily... Well, yeah, I'm not saying there's... Yeah, I'm not saying what you're saying in terms of acceptance. Yes. I don't think acceptance in terms of they are they are happy about it. No, But true. I think it's just we're, we're in such a shit position... That the uh, the relegation is accepted. So I did a poll. Obviously, it's on Twitter. A small percentage of the fan base are on Twitter. Um, you know, so it's not it's not representative of our fans at all. Um, but two hundred town fans um, or two hundred people did the vote on my on the Salacast account, and eighty five percent fans said that we're going to get relegated. That's after twelve games. We've still got a lot of the season to go. But it's because of this whole context we've got, isn't it? Yep. Um, well, and that's the problem so yeah and it's not just on Cottrell that as I said you know since Hurst left the football club and so this is on Roland and, and the chair and, and this Brian as a CEO for the manager they brought in and the structure of the football club and our strategy and how much you know way, way leave we've given managers the whole thing you know how it, the whole thing's been controlled for the last three years since Hurst left we played 155 games in Mali and we have a 23.9 win percentage a few weeks ago you asked me to do that stat and it was at 25 so it's gone down do you know what I mean it's it's getting worse yeah. and and that is not acceptable you're never going to retain an engaged excited fan base yeah and that's why that's why I asked you to redo those stats because if you're I don't know a casual town fan or you're you know you're a bit confused why town fans are so angry because 23% of the time we win. So, so you know, nearly 80% of the time we do not win a game. So you go away to Ipswich, you go away to Sheffield, you go away to Bolton. You spend, you know, if you've got kids, you spend a hundred quid on a, a hundred quid a go going to an away game with the probability that 23% of the time you're going to win. <laughs> that's just an incentive. That's just, if you gave that to a, fruit know, a doctor, if you gave that to a doctor and said, you know, there's, here, here's 6,000 people and they keep doing something, and only twenty three percent of the time they win mm. or get a good result. You'd wonder, you'd go, "Well, that's an that's some kind of definition of a madness." And that's the context of why fans are so disillusioned, yep. and and that is more worrying. So, a really interesting tweet from Dale Skitt, who's a, a huge Tuesday fan fan, and he said, "I got angry with ASCII, got even angry with with Ricketts, and now I'm just too tired to get angry with a third successive manager in almost as many years. He's already made a bolt up of the season, no doubt about it." But when, it, but I think we're in trouble. Um, I'm paraphrasing there yeah. for this season, whatever happens. And that's someone who's a really passionate yeah, town fan. Yeah, um, he's not the only one, though, is he? There's so many fans that we've met over the years doing the podcast, and all we know from other things that are absolutely chipped off with it, and are just. I say acceptance isn't the right word. Uh, you know, I think no. of the, it's just because that's what was in that five stage grief. I thought it was quite easy, but it is. I think it's acceptance of the situation we found ourselves in, but I, you know, I resigned. I think I, I like. I think I, I've used the very word resigned true. to relegation. Yeah, very true. And, and this is a tweet that we had last week from James Archer. Yeah, and he said one thing that is casting more resonance and worry is the fact that our fans yesterday, and this was obviously from um, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, do not seem to care we lost. It's the fact that we're accepting where we are. Oh, I think people are losing interest. The same every year. People have found better things to do. Yep. Which is worrying. Yeah, we're eight hundred down on the crowds, as I've been mentioning as the season goes on like now. It's it's not something that we can let just 
continue. And I'm not saying this because I want people to react in any kind of way. You know, you're your own fan. You choose to react to every match of football and the situation you find your football cleaning yourself. I just am very upset about where we're headed. I, I can't abide us going down to League Two, Ollie. We've got to be better than that as a football club. Otherwise, what is the point of all of these investments and everything? And I know football's difficult and you can find yourself in a season like this, but I'm not going to accept this season just petering through to absolutely nothing. I, I, I will rage until the dawn, Ollie, I think. I don't think I'll ever get to acceptance with anything to do with Shrewsbury Town. Um, but that's just me. I appreciate other people are different. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's, there's, that's why it's quite difficult. I understand what you're saying. Mm. Acceptance is, is useful in terms of the terminology you use it. Probably not the right word. It's almost we are so shit. So we are te- our squad is tiny and doesn't lack. We don't have enough quality up front, let's no. be honest. No. And we don't have enough midfielders. So that is just a recipe for disaster. We, as James pointed out in the podcast last week, we underperform on our XG in terms of goals and we, the opposition, overperform against us in terms of conceding. Yeah which is just like the terrible situation to be. And the manager said, you need to do better in both boxes. Yeah, we know we need to do better in both boxes, but what are you doing about it? Yeah. Um, so you've got, and that's where town fans, because, you know, if you had, I don't know, even when Paul Hurst came in, you looked at this squad and you thought, you've got Matt Sadler, you've got a go-go, you've got Worley. You know, you only needed to, you only needed to add a couple of players, didn't you, to that side? So yep. um, um, Toto and Ciala yep. got rid of Ivan Tony. God knows what happened to him. And then, you know, he turned it around. The only benefit you have at the moment is the squad is so small. In January transfer window, there's money to spend. But in terms of getting to January, I think that's why people are so despondent because mm. you look at the team sheet and you're like, Ugh. like the team sheet against Wolves, we had one midfielder in the whole 11. <laughs> it's no good. That's just, it's just beyond words, isn't it? It's, it's, we've got to the point where I saw people saying, why didn't we keep Brad Walker? And like, I would have laughed. I would have laughed at that person in the summer. But now I think, why didn't we keep Brad Walker? Like, why didn't we keep Sean Goss? Why didn't we keep Sean Goss? Why, you know, it, there are so many players that we've let go in the last three seasons that would walk into this team now. I'm pretty sure Anthony Grant would start for us every week at his age he is now, if we'd kept him. Do you know what I mean? Three yeah, years ago. Well for it's just, it's just, Maybe we'll sign him when we're in League Two. But, uh, the amount of negligence that's gone on in terms of squad building over three years is ridiculous. You know, we've left ourselves with basically no saleable assets. Um, you know, now Norburn's gone and we've absolutely wrecked Og better. I suppose we've got, you know, a young lad that's come through, but that's a fluke more than anything. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know. There's yeah. so many concerns about the long-term future that even winning, you know, a couple of games and getting back in touch at Christmas doesn't really allay the long-term problems, which we will come to in a minute because we're going to talk about the football club, I suppose. But I don't know. It's just lurching into a bigger and bigger disaster as the weeks go on. And Ollie, the last thing I'll leave you with before we finish this little section on apathy and why it's happening is... You go to Shrewsbury Town, or you go to any football match, really. I go to a lot of neutral games sometimes, you know, when I'm away on holiday and stuff, and I want to go and see entertaining football, and I want to see goals. Since Paul Hurst left, as I said, we've played 155 games, Ollie. We've scored 141 goals. We're just, you know, we're going to less than a goal a game. It just gets worse and worse. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, there's just no fun watching nil-nil draws or one-nil losses all the time. And I'm passionate. I'm still going to go. You're still going to go, you know, as much as we possibly can. But the floating fans are going to start to drift away and we're going to get horrendous crowds as the winter sets in. That's what's going to happen. So it's it's something the club needs to be wary of. They need to change the, the, the narrative. They need to change the situation um, and they need to get wins. And if that requires a manager change, I think we're going to be talking about it over the next few weeks, to be honest with you, Ollie. Yeah, just one thing. I haven't put this in the agenda, so this is my thoughts. I'm not going to give you a heads up. One thing I want to talk about is, um, and it might come. I want to be really clear how, how I put this across. Mm. So, people, a lot of criticism is going to the chairman and Brian about the recruitment. Yep. And I, I wanted just for me, this is my opinion. This is what I is what I know about how the club runs. 
I don't think it is right to criticise Brian, the chairman, for the lack of signings because the club gives 100% ownership of the recruitment to the manager. Now, you can, you can argue that that is not a good decision. Now, I think having a director of football is a, a debate that we couldn't have, can't have on this podcast today, Glenn, but I think that's something where you could criticise the chairman yep. and Brian for saying, you know, it doesn't work, we keep going through this cycle, we need to break the cycle, and maybe a director of football would work. Big debate, let's not have that today. But I just want to go, I don't know, it's my opinion, I don't know, I'd like to get your opinion on it, Glenn, but, you know, the club have made a decision to give 100% of the transfer kitty recruitment to the manager. It's his decision and his decision alone. And I've heard some worrying stories about players we could have signed in the transfer window that the manager said no to. Oh, God. So I'm, so while I think, I, I think people should be held to account for what they're responsible for, and I don't think it's fair to, put criticism at the chairman on recruitment because he employs the manager to trust. Now you can criticize the chairman for choosing the manager, yep. but I think the recruitment, I think it's only fair to, to, to criticize the manager. I think we've been clear on this on the podcast all season that the failure to build a good squad this year is wholly on Steve Cottrell's shoulders this time. I would very much agree what you just said. I do agree the chairman and Brian can come under criticism for the managers they picked. Would we be in this situation if Brian and the chairman could have let their things go by with Paul Hurst? Would the fans have got behind that? It's a million and one questions we can ask about that. Um, you know, if Mike Flynn was available, oh, he is, all of a sudden, and we brought him in now, would that make the situation better? Those are the questions I'll have to answer down the line, I suppose. Um, and, you know, there's a big question mark for me around Steve Cottrell and his um, influence with our manager, uh, sorry, with our with our board and our CEO, um, because we look at the whole kit debacle. That, to me, crystallises the sheer amount of power we've given the manager this season and, and how that might have led to more chaos than maybe we usually usually experience, I suppose. But deep down, when it comes to the problems we've got on the pitch this season, tactically, financially, because of the transfer budget and you know the way we're playing, that all falls on Steve and the players for me. I don't think you can really bring the, the chairman into that too much other than to say you know, he'll stand and he'll stand by the next picks of manager that you'll get to because if this keeps up, we will have to look for a new manager soon. You can't countenance this keep going on, really. So I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I do understand why some people do still have a, a bit of a knock on the chairman and Brian for various issues. But, you know, it's been very clear that he didn't spend the transfer budget and that is, for me, pretty unforgivable. Yeah, it is. It is. And, yeah, the players that we could have signed, whatever. Um, the, I think it's just, uh, I'll just go back to, let's call it Tom's stat. That it was something like 33 days we didn't sign a permanent player up to the closure of the transfer window. Mad, yeah. But after we did our pre... So Chris Chris keeps liking to remind us. I know I, I was negative on that podcast. I said I was really concerned. Yeah, but I'm sure Chris would agree. We didn't think we'd sign no one on a permanent <laughs> basis at that point. And even Cosgrove, who we did bring in, has been absolutely bollocks. So it wasn't like... Yeah, and Lesha Bella doesn't get the chance to play <laughs> exactly. against Wolves under 21. So even uh, even after, before those last 30 games, you know, what, what, what difference it make? Anyway... Oh, we've been, we've done that anyway. We'll we'll leave that there. But yes, um, that's it, I suppose, in terms of the whole apathy and how we can catch that and what fans are going to be like going forward. God knows what Saturday will be like if we fall behind. We keep thinking it's going to explode, and it never does because maybe of that that feeling of the the sort of acceptance and apathy. But we'll soon find out on Saturday, won't we? Um, but yes, the next news, Ollie. So obviously you were in the hospital last night. I was texting you saying, uh, "Mate, something's happening." Um. Try to set out the context of it, I suppose, in terms of the, the ownership issue. So, yeah, The Sun on Sunday, there's a, a journalist called Alan Nixon. And, and Alan Nixon is a sort of Bolton-based journalist, I think, but he does work for the Nationals as well. Um, but he covers Bolton every Saturday, doesn't he? Um, 
and he's actually broken a couple of town transfer stories over the years, hasn't he? You know, we've we've been often be re- retweeting him breaking that someone is moving to Shrewsbury, and you know, ten minutes later, Lewis Cox has looked into it, and it's happening, and you know, it's gazumped the football club. So I don't know where or what he knows or how he finds these things out, but he seems to have a little bit of an in to Shrewsbury Town, which is odd. So it isn't the usual situation of um, a Sun journalist who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about and probably shouldn't just be listened to, which it is in occasions. Um, so anyway, he printed in the paper last week and uh, sorry last sun, um, on sunday yesterday and online that Shrewsbury town football club were you know getting to the point uh, sorry were in a situation where the club is being sold to paul delves the handover will be in the summer um and that was happening and that, and i asked him on twitter what where this story had come from and he just stood by it and said that's what i understand that's what's happening um and that's been so it. So it was actually said in the. I've read the Sun article. He's saying it is Delves who's going. Yeah, he, meant, he said sold. specifically Delves. Yep. Who is the vice chairman? For anyone that doesn't know, and um, we have talked about him on the podcast. Um, yeah, I think I've talked about meeting him twice at the sports parliament meetings. Really nice bloke. I've really really got on with him so far. So it'd be interesting to see if he is our man to take us forward. Because um, yeah, he's he's very happy to talk to fans and be part of sports parliament meetings, which to me I see as a big positive. So um, there we go. Anyway, but just talking aside from it, actually going back to Delves, I when I spoke to the sports parliament, meeting, he was telling me what he's been doing. He is essentially shadowing the chairman around this season as the vice chairman. He's going to every game away from home. He's in the car with the chairman. He's meeting all the other chairmen of football clubs. You could feel like that's almost like grooming him for that next position. And, you know, lots of these stories have come from that. Um, But, you know, so anyway, story was stood by by the journalist on Sunday night. And then, yes, uh, today Lewis Cox has followed it up, did a story saying they understand, Shropshire Star understand, the club is being sold to Paul Delves. Um, The club has been contacted for comment. And then we got something that we very rarely get, Ollie. Um, the club, or even Roland Witchley specifically, put out a statement, mate, um, and didn't deny that it's happening, but denied that it was imminent um, in a rare statement. So that opens up more questions and answers to me. So I, having read that statement from the club a few times today, I'm of the opinion that it is happening. Like, it doesn't deny it at all. And as much as they can say it's not going to be imminent, no one ever said it was. Everyone was, you know, the stories had been it was happening in the summer. So I don't think that the story from the football club has really allayed the rumours or the fears, has it really? Not fears, the, the comments on it. It hasn't really allayed the story that was initially set out. I don't know what you feel, Ollie. Yes, it's a lot more questions and answers at the moment, Definitely. isn't there? Um, we don't really know what's going on. Um, I'm not sure really if that statement was that necessary, to be honest, because it doesn't really tell us anything. Um, sometimes it's sometimes it's better to yeah just keep keep it keep it quiet until you know you have something to actually really report. But obviously, the chairman felt it was necessary to to put something out because it had been in in the in the in a, in a newspaper. For me, yeah, for me, the the big questions are you know how much is the club being sold for? You know, is the person that's going to buy the club? I don't know. We've got no idea who that is really. Um, you know, do they? How are they going to fund it? You know, you look at Man United and Burnley almost like a, a leverage buyout in terms of how they're going to do it. You know, does the chairman get a big wad of cash and then that's saddled, saddled on the club? I can't imagine that or what the chairman wants to do um, because he's always said, he said to us, didn't we, when we were doing the, um, we had the kind of supporters pilot meetings about the badge. He, he came down and spoke to us the only time I've, I've been in his company and he said he wanted to leave the club in a great position and I really believed him when he said that. So yeah, it's just a bit odd. Obviously the club is worth so much in terms of his assets. I don't, I don't know. Can I see someone spending over ten million pounds on Shrewsbury Football Club? Unless you want to asset strip it, you know, you're not going to do that. And if you do, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I just don't. I've just, I'm a bit confused, to be honest. Like you said, you've put here, Glenn. What's, what's the value of the club? You know, what's the budgets? Um, you know, what's the strategy going to be? So for me, 
trying to keep my powder dry a little bit in terms of yeah, not saying too much. Wait and see what and um, what comes of it. But whoever does become the new chairman, man, there's got a lot of questions for this individual um, in terms of what their strategy is, how they want to do things, um, and how that's going to play forward. Um, particularly the, the the kind of the is any debt or that kind of stuff. I think that's really important. We know, and you know, even if a chairman if a chairman starts spending loads of money, I'll be more concerned than he doesn't. Because if we start spending loads of money, are we the next Derby, Stockport County, Wrexham, um, Hereford, Bury? Um, you know, look at Reading, look at all these clubs that are going to go into financial trouble. I yeah. mean, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. It, I mean, Dells is not a vastly wealthy man. You know, he has done very well for himself and is a, a bit of a local Shropshire legend, businessman done done well, similar model to Roland Witchley. Um, obviously, he's very different people, I would imagine. But, you know, his money comes from 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 the businesses he set up and the, and the money he's brought into our Shropshire economy. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. When you look at his actions since he's joined the football club's sphere, if you will, or at least visibly, Montgomery Waters Meadow, you know, he owns Montgomery Waters Meadow. Harry Tuffins have sponsored the shirt. Planet Donor are a major sponsor now. Um, you know, there are other companies that he's involved in that I think put money into the club. You know, take away before he was made vice chairman, he was one of our significant sponsors, you know, putting more money into the football club than than anyone at the end of the day. Um, and then he's been made vice chairman and he's taken on this role of shadowing Roland around. You know, take away any rumours or take away anything else. It's it's definitely, it would it would appear that he's being asked or, or not asked or just like seeing if he would want to take on that that responsibility. I know from having spoke to him, he loves the football club. He is a Shubertown fan, like we've said. He's, he's a very well soft-spoken Shropshire man. Um, so there's a lot to like about a, a guy like Paul Delves taking over the football club. I think I'd probably be okay with it. Do I think it would change our strategy um, that we have now in terms of being a self-sustaining football club that has a, an owner that doesn't want to put money in and kind of tries to keep us going as a business? I, I very much doubt that would change. And maybe some fans won't like that because they want to see us move on. But you're right. There's the flip. There's the other side of it is that there's also a lot of fans who are quite proud of how we've done it over the last few years and, and have a model that means we're not reliant on one big owner and then can one day go pop and, and be screwed because no one's going to come and save Shrewsbury Town, are they? So it'll be interesting to see. I, I, my personal view, Ollie, is I can read between the lines on a lot of things. I don't believe that there's nothing going on. I believe that Paul Delves is probably going to be our next chairman. And we'll see what happens in the summer. And I suspect that's when it will get announced because that's what Roland Witchley wants. But, I, but I'll tell you something, Ollie. And, you know, this is another question that opens up. Roland Witchley's not going to want to leave us this summer back in League Two where we started. That would be a, a, such a blow just to his ego, but not just that, to the football club as a whole. It would feel like a real kick in the teeth for him to finally leave after he's got us back to where we basically started. With a better club off the field, but essentially league-wise, back where we started. It'd be a bit, bit upsetting for him, that, I would imagine. It would be really upsetting for the chairman. Mm. That's why... You know, I'm sure he's as, as, as frustrated as we are with the, the team that he's seeing, performances and the results, because, yeah, he wouldn't... He, obviously, his legacy is going to be, you know, you're not going to think about League 2 relegation if that happens this season is his legacy. Yep. Um, his legacy is going to be um, moving to the ground, you know, um, kind of, you know, rising through the division up to League 1 and being, a you know, with the second most established League 1 side at the moment behind Gillingham. Yep. So his legacy is going to be fantastic, but you're right, it's going to be a bit of a tarnish at the end. Um, with um, if we do get relegated to League Two, so yeah, but it does it does create an opportunity, doesn't it? You know, we'll have a new man who's got a different way. Maybe um, you know, he'll have maybe the new chairman will look at fan engagement a bit differently. Yeah, I think um, in terms that. of their interaction, and maybe we'll go down a different route. Maybe the director of football route or something like that, a bit of a different approach. Um, maybe a different approach to youngsters or so. Who knows? But it does create an opportunity. Um, Huge respect to the chairman and what he's done in terms of the money he's invested to keep us going. 
but it's um yeah it, it for me it's as, as equally as why is quite exciting it, uh, i'm probably actually probably more worried than than excited to be honest because we see a lot of other clubs getting into trouble and we don't we don't have those conversations I guess the other point of this, the last question I suppose on this is it does leave me feeling like we're in a bit of limbo because if you, if you, you know, no one's taking that message on that, don't worry, this is just a shit story in the paper and nothing's happening. You don't need to worry about it. You know, no one's read it like that. I don't think, I think most people have read it in that, okay, well, you had to put a comment out there and say, look, this isn't happening tomorrow, but it's, something's definitely happening. You know, that's, that's, I think a lot of people have read that on Twitter. I'm just judging it from the reaction on Twitter, Facebook today. I haven't really, it's obviously a Monday. I haven't really spoken to any of the town fans. We'll have a chat to them at the match on Saturday, won't we? Um, so, but it does leave us in a bit of limbo, doesn't it? In terms of, you know, are we just seeing out the, 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 the Witchley era now, uh, you know, is Delves going to have plans to bring forward, you know, people are going to want to know what the strategy is. You know, I'd like to hope that, you know, when it happens, we have a fans Q and a, and that, that they can come and talk to us about what, what Delves hopes to bring, or is he going to follow the same model? There's lots of things you'll want to see. Um, um, who knows? Fan on the board, Ollie. You never know. It might be something that they think is is a valuable thing. It's happening at other football clubs, isn't it? There's lots of good things this club does, and I'm sure that you know, traveling around the country with the chairman, now he's seeing best practice at other clubs. So I'd like to think that any chairman, even if you're going to follow the same strategy, might want to have their own stamp on a football club, and there'll be there'll be changes they can do. Um, I guess if it happens in the summer, Ollie, the first change he can make as chairman of Shrewsbury Town Football Club is get us back in fucking blue and amber. That'd be a start, mate. <laughs> Well, I think that probably would actually happen. But um, yeah, and I, th- I think the, the chance of you being that fan engagement um, member is probably quite low, mate, to be fair. Do you not think, think he was like softening me up del- at the last sports bonnet? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and delivering you the bad news now. But um, but no, there's a lot of a um, lot of things to, to think about, a lot of things yeah. that happen. Something obviously we will follow up and um, mm. And yeah, obviously, you know, every, obviously I'm sure the chairman and we want the best interest for the club, so... Or something to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, fascinating evening, really, and the reaction of it. And, uh, you know, to get a, get a statement out of the football club less than an hour after, you know, the shop star have inquired for comment is um, quite rare for Shrewsbury Town, who are, who are normally quite uh, protective of their media comments, aren't they? So I thought the whole thing's fascinating, really. As I say, I think that we will be having a new man in the summer, and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get a chance to speak to him. He might even do an, I suspect he might even come and talk to us, Ollie, who knows? But um, there we go. We don't know who it is, though. Uh, no I'm fairly convinced, and I think that, um, yeah, I'm fairly convinced. You're not as convinced, are you? But um, we'll see who's right in the summer, Ollie. There we go. That can be our prediction. Well, I'm not saying, I'm not saying <laughs> I don't, I'm saying I don't know. I haven't got a name, so I can't be right or wrong when I'm saying I don't know who it's going to be. Okay, fair enough. Um, Let's go back to football. Away from that, quite uh, could be groundbreaking thing. Back to back to pff, more struggling matters, I suppose. I mean, yeah, we've got MK Dons at home on Saturday, Ollie, which is um, must win for me, Ollie. Must win. Um, we've not had a more must win game for pff, until Ricketts got sacked in last year, I suppose. We've got to win it. If anything but a win is shit, and really just leaves us in trouble. So yeah, I'm I'm saying must win as well. I know you put it in the agenda, Ollie, but I totally agree. Yeah, well, I, I didn't say it's must win. Oh, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think. Yeah, is it must win? It probably is actually. If Definitely. We go to, yeah. Um, we go to nearly what would it less than fifteen percent win ratio or something. You know, only two wins out of thirteen. MK Dons are doing really well. So you know, um, they beat. Um, you know, going back to September, they beat Gillingham four one, beat Pompey one nil. Um, they drew with Cheltenham. Um, then they beat Wimble and Wickham two one, which is no mean defeat, but that was EFL trophy. Still, still got a result there. They did lose um, to um, Doncaster Rovers in their last league game, which is a bit of an odd result. Um, but then, yeah, for me, for me, this is an for me the must win is actually the week after Cambridge. Um, for me, I think if we lose to Cambridge, that is, you know, fourteen games. Let's assume we lose the MK Dons game. We probably are going to lose. We lose most of our games. It's not a, you know, I imagine we're a coupon buster if we ever win. <laughs> and Cambridge is huge because it's it's 
Um, is Cambridge at home as well, or is Cambridge away? No, it's home. Cambridge home. and then Oxford in between on the Tuesday. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, it is a huge, huge game, um, and yeah, we. I just can't see us getting anything though. That's the trouble. No, nor me. I, I'm going to be negative because we've often been wrong with our predictions this season by being too positive at the start. I mean, yeah, I can't see us winning. I mean, it's well, funny, and you, that's you... why for me, I think I think we'll lose the next two games. So we'll lose at home to um to MK Dons. We'll lose away to Oxford. So that will be then our fifteenth game of the season at Cambridge at home. And with no disrespect to Cambridge, but if we lose to a newly newly promoted side, and you know, not be I don't think this would be me. You know. They're not a huge team. They're not Ipswich. They're not Sunderland. They're not. They're not Rotherham, who've got eight million pounds last year in terms of championship money. Um, we're talking about Cambridge United. What was their last attendance? You know, a couple of thousand, maybe. You know, it's it's. You know, they're not a huge football club. Um, it's the kind of game that we have to win. And if we can't win against Cambridge at home, then it just it just it just again, it's just another nail in the in the coffin. That it's you wanted to say, you've got to go then, didn't you? If we if we lost well, the next three, for me, for me, for me, for me, the moment we'll look for me having losing at home to Cambridge. If we lose the next two games, for me, I don't know where I'm going to be then, but potentially, yeah, that'd be six losses in a row, wouldn't it? Which is terrible. That'd be the worst run we've had in probably I don't know five six years. I'll be honest with you, Ollie. I I've not even got that much credit left in the bank for Cottrell. If we don't beat MK Dons. Sorry, if we lose to MK Dons and we lose to Oxford, I'm not. I'm not going to want to see Steve Cottrell as our manager against Cambridge. I'd rather he just was gone by then. I, I can't see us losing. I, I I'm almost at the point like if we lose Saturday, I've had enough. I, I just think that this is this is. I'm almost at my make or break game now, Ollie. To be honest, I just because I've got a sense of like fairness in me. How can we have been so battering Ricketts to to you know to the point that we were calling for him to get sacked? Much, much sooner last season. Than well, we, we remember we did that document in yep. February yep. before we got sacked in November or October time. He was on the knife edge for that long. Yep. I, I just, I, you got to remember the season started earlier this year, didn't it? Because of COVID. But in you know, yeah. game for game, it was game 13 that Ricketts got sacked. And that's the fact that the, yeah. the fact that um, Cotra has less points than Ricketts puts it into context. I mean, when I saw that from your, from your work, I was like, wow. So that's, that's to me, you know, unless we win on Saturday, he's behind Ricketts at the point you got sacked. It's just, I don't know, there's like an innate fairness in me that makes me think, you know, you can't just batter one manager for months and when he moves on, say it's a good thing. And then another manager comes in and does something worse, essentially, and not be feeling the same. I'm I'm pretty much at the end with, with Cottrell, to be honest with you. I know that sounds harsh. Oh, it doesn't sound harsh at all, actually, considering how badly we're playing. Um, It seems harsh compared to what we were saying in the summer about wanting him to succeed. But... Football's a results business, Ollie. I'll always say that. You know, we can talk about XG and we can look at stats and we can talk about runs since Hurst was there. On results in this season, cup and league, he is at the point where he, he probably deserves to be on, on the way out. And so to me, I'm going to have a real, real good uh, think about what to say next uh, next Sunday if yeah. we've lost, which to is, be honest. Which is a really good time as, as, a, as a, a tweet I wanted to mention, but this actually links in perfectly. So, yeah, a tweet from Pooley, Pooley Shrew, Andy Davis, who's been on the podcast several times. Yep. He said, I couldn't care less um, to now this bloke's winding me up with his post-match game interviews, trying to be clever, um, trying to be a clever know-it-all. Maybe someone needs to remind him it's results business and he's not been so clever lately. Time to change if the club has the balls. And for me, that's the thing. I just We said it in the podcast earlier on. How has he fallen this much? And it's this... Mad. You know, every time he says to us, oh, you're not going to catch me out with that question, Lewis. Like, Lewis isn't trying to catch you out, Chief. 
He's asking a question <laughs> about what's going on. He's not looking for a big time headline. Shropshire Star, he doesn't even choose the headlines. The editor does. And the headlines aren't really going to determine whether someone buys the newspaper. Mm. Someone's going to buy the Shropshire Star, irrelevant of the of the, the headline on the back of the newspaper. Yes. And you're not going to and you and he's got this whole game about being clever all the time. Stop being clever and blind some bloody football matches. Well, you know, and even at the start when he was spiking with the press and it was going like moderately badly, to be honest with you, it's reached a point where the press could absolutely bloody murder him in questions and comments and they'd be banged they would be banged to rights, Ollie. The media has not asked him, Glenn, you know, the consequences of his recruitment. They haven't asked him that question. They're not asking him really hard, mean questions because they've got to balance that line, you know. You know, me and you can sail this now. We're not going to meet the bloke. Uh, we've got no intentions of meeting him. And we can just be no. honest about what we think. Okay. They've got a job to do. They've got to see him. You've got to, you know, see him in the eyeballs. You've got to talk to him every week. They ask him a tough question. The next week he's going to be there, and you've got to ask him. And if you're playing two games a week, you're meeting him four times a week. Mm. So I understand why Lewis Cox and stuff has to find the fine balance. That's fine. But yeah, it's just oh, I, I'm really, I, as you can tell, I've lost my patience with him. Yeah, I, as well. I, I you know, I, it's really hard for me to comment on the job the press are doing because we know Mark, you know, and, and Lewis. They've been on the podcast. I've known Stu Dunn since I was probably like mid-twenties when I played with him a few A-sporters and I, I cannot be critical of the job any of them are doing you know I'll be critical of Radio Shropshire's decisions to play music that's fair enough but as, as journalists they do the, the best job they can within the framework that the football club will allow journalists to work in which speaking to people who've worked as sports reporters uh, in the football club sphere over the years who I've got to know from Matt Kendrick through to various other ones they can make life very difficult. And I'm sure it's the same at every football club, Ollie. Um, but, you know, it, it, I think fans were desperate on Saturday for some answers and some tricky questions. And sometimes I, I can understand why the press maybe just, they know if they ask that question, they're going to get a fight. And that's not a positive position for anyone to be in. It's probably not healthy for the, the guys in the press, the relationship, the, the job they're doing. It must be incredibly stressful. But they asked stressful. Ricketts, didn't they? Yeah. They asked Ricketts the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Ricketts, is Cotter not getting the questions because he's so spiky and aggressive? Yeah, I was. I I do believe that Saturday. You know, who knows? Maybe he did get those difficult questions. That's the only thing about Saturday we can say is maybe he did get those difficult questions, and that's part of the interview that we're not allowed to hear. And you know, we can't be critical. Stu Dunn maybe asked him some searching questions, but of the bits we've heard, comparative to the game before Ricketts got sacked, I I don't think that you know he was under the same scrutiny. Um, so it's it's a tricky situation. And and as I say, I think that you know you can you can fault. Sam Ricketts all you want about what of a football manager he was for us as a football club I don't really think you could fault the way he was as a man to other people uh, and we interviewed him Ollie he was a nice guy at the end of the day you know he didn't really seem to have a plan about how to make us a better football club or the plan he had wasn't a very good one but you know I don't think I would have that same opinion if I went and met Steve Cottrell he does seem like a bit of a nasty bloke now um, and you know and that was something we were told about when he joined from other football clubs wasn't it so um, it's definitely become apparent as we've gone on and you can only be nasty when you're winning if you're going to be nasty when you're losing you look like a dick and he does look like a dick most of the time yeah so guys please go on Saturday <laughs> support the team <laughs> and um that's yeah. it though yeah the likelihood, the likelihood of getting anything is small and for me it's just we we need yeah we need to change um and having another ASCII another Ricketts isn't the, isn't the answer 
Mate, I'll be there on Saturday. I'll be cheering my heart out yeah, to try we'll and get there, a win. Yeah. I'm desperate for it, mate. You know, like every other game I've ever been to, I just want us to win. I want to see us get better. I do not want to see us get relegated, right? But I'm, I am so much of the opinion that if it goes wrong on Saturday, I'll be venting myself to an extreme degree at whoever's listening, and probably nobody at this stage. But I, I I'm not going to put up with crap on Saturday. Um, and it's got, it's got to be better. And this is make or break for me now. So, um, that's it. But I'll be there. I'll get me voucher. I, did you know the worst thing about having COVID, Ollie? Is I missed two home games. Didn't use your vouchers. Not I've got vouchers. loads of vouchers. Devastating. I know. I, sometimes <laughs> I leave them. Leave the, I leave the book in my car. One week I left it. But oh, no. They do. You do do um, woodses now. You can get yeah, a pint of yeah. woods on the voucher. So that was a good improvement. But um, yeah. I get the sense some people are only going for the voucher. Masterstroke. It was a Brian Masterstroke in the end. How do you retain the fans on a shit season? Give them free food. There you go. He he knew what he was doing all along. Playing 4D chess, the bloke. Um, Who knows, Ollie? Anyway, it's been helpful. I've had two weeks of lying in my bed, slowly fuming more each week. I've been, it's been good to get this off my chest. I've probably swore a bit more than I usually do, but I make no, I make no apologies because this is, um, this is bad times again. And I can't believe we're back here literally a year after it happened last time. So negligent. Anyway. Every time, every (sighs) time, just before the clocks start going back, we end up being in a quagmire of results. So yeah, God, let's see what happens. Okay. um, We'll be here, Glenn. Chins up. Analysis. Yeah, appreciate the comments and stuff we've had in recent weeks. Again, appreciate the guests that have come in your absence. And good to have you back, Glenn. Good stuff. I'm glad to be back. And we shall reconvene next week. And yeah, who knows where we'll be, Ollie? Who can't even judge it? And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next Sunday.